So a few weeks ago, we started a sermon series in the parables. And I don't know about you, um, but I've really appreciated them. Uh, I, one of the reasons, like, it's, it's a funny thing to think about, like, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, how a you know, pastor group of people kind of figure out what they're going to preach or think through. This one was kind of personal because uh, there, there, there's so much just coming at us, telling us what we need to believe and how we need to think and what we need to do and, um, you know, information and, and, and it's commercials and tweets and just things constantly even popping up on our computers and on our phones, just news and information it's over and over. It gets overwhelming. I want to just simply be like, what, what would Jesus say in the most, some of the most clearest ways that He can teach us? And so that's, that's what we decided to do. Just look at some of these simple stories that Jesus uses in the Scriptures to teach us. That's what He does. You know, this, the subject of the parables is often very simple. It's seeds and fathers and sons and vineyards and old widows. And they're meant to give us um, at the, the story itself is meant to give us a choice to make. Well, maybe better said, it's supposed to reveal a choice that we need to make. It, it reveals postures and hearts and it, motives. Uh, it, it reveals those things. Whether we're going to choose pride or humility, love or hate, forgiveness or resentment, or we're going to choose peace or strife, if we're going to choose people or possessions and things, are we going to trust in ourselves or are we going to trust in God's grace and His love and His mercy for us? And what I hope that you can gather, I hope that you'll see, that these are really gifts. The parables, each one, are gifts. Just like I was talking to my father you know, I highlighted what he did you know during the confession of sin and it was a gift it was a gift it was terrifying it was but it was a gift I understood it I learned I was taught and that's what Christ is doing that's his intent to teach us not only things about his kingdom and who he is but it it reveals what's in our hearts it exposes us and sometimes that's intimidating, but ultimately it's good. Let's just begin right where... I'm sorry, i got to... I left my Bible on the back. Let's just begin right where Luke does. If you have your Bibles out. Now Luke does something really curious here in this passage that he doesn't do in other places. So it's... It's kind of rare. He comes out from the beginning telling us why he's about to tell this story. Why Jesus is going to tell it. And he says in verse 9, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now you can look at the parables of Jesus and not often do you get like, you know, like signs of what's about to come. Like this is intentional like Luke is telling us that Jesus is saying this to this group of people because they have trusted in, in themselves for righteousness 
and am beginning to treat others with contempt. These are clues. There is a way, he's saying, to trust in ourselves, and it seems that he, being Jesus, is saying that there is another way that we can trust in something else. So the question I think we have to ask is, why is Jesus doing this? Why is he saying, be careful? Because what I don't think he's saying is don't trust in yourself at all. Don't trust in anything that you have. He does, it's not what he's saying here. It's, he's not actually saying just don't, don't trust in yourself at all. He's, it's, it's, it's a particular thing that we, he's saying don't trust in. Because in some ways, friends, and in many ways, it is good, it's okay to trust sort of in ourselves. I th I th God doesn't want us to be deeply insecure about who we are. God doesn't want us to know. Uh, God wa wants us to know that we are extremely valuable to Him, that we are deeply loved by Him. Because we are made in His image, I think that He's not saying just don't trust in yourselves at all. He's saying, don't trust in yourself for this. The reason I say this differently is because I've said, or in, I say it intentionally, is because I've heard, I've read a lot of commentaries, I've read a lot of stuff about the parables, I've even heard a lot of sermons, and sometimes they come off as just like, don't, don't, you can't trust in yourself at all. Yourself, your feelings, you're bad. They're all bad. I don't, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus wants to highlight the fact that you were made in the image of God and that you have been given gifts and like you all have beautiful gifts that we are to share with one another and we're to give to each other and that we are to recognize and cultivate. But Jesus says there's a certain place, a certain area in your life that you're not to trust yourself in. There are so many beautiful qualities that you have that God has given to you. But in this area, Jesus is saying, I'm speaking to those people, these that have trusted in themselves for this, because when they trust in themselves for this, they begin to look at the world and others differently. See, what I'm trying to pick up in these last few weeks is that Jesus, in whatever He's doing, He's always concerned about people. He will pick people over possessions. He will pick you know, the, the peace of a group of people over, you know, obviously over resentment or strife. Jesus' concern is always for, his heart, his pulse is always for people. In this, you know, in our call to worship this morning, we were reminded that he was for the needy, that he was on the fringes, that he was looking to the people that we often overlook. And Jesus is constantly thinking about people. And what he says is don't trust in yourselves in this very particular way. Don't trust in yourselves in this very specific. Don't trust in yourself for your own righteousness. Now the Hebrew way of thinking when, when this word righteousness would be used, it's very important. All throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the word righteousness is spoken about. 
And it's not that you're trusting yourselves because you're, righteous means that you're a good person or you make the right choices or that you're kind to others or that you help people in the neighborhood or that you're a generous person. That's not what righteousness means. In the Hebrew ears, in the Hebrew understanding, this is more of a posture toward God. It's, it's your standing with God. What makes you acceptable to God? It is your relationship to Him. It's, it's the verdict that He declares or speaks over you. You shouldn't trust in yourself on how we relate to God or how we're even able to relate to God. We can't trust in that. But what we'll, we'll see is that Jesus really, in this beautiful story that He's telling, He's setting us up for it's a trap. <laughs> it's get us to think. So immediately what Jesus does is he begins to paint this picture of two men heading up to the temple. Now, what you need to understand is this is very intentional because the temple in the day was up on the mountain. It was at the highest peak, the highest place of the city. And so you did have to travel up. So you didn't walk past it like a storefront and go, oh, that, why don't I go in there? Check that out. It was intentional. You had to head there. And it was... This idea, this picture that Jesus is painting, he's a beautiful storyteller. You have two different men that are heading up in an intentional way to the temple, which is the highest point. Now, both of them are standing up. And this is all, this is all symbolism. This is all intentional things that Jesus is doing. So we have two men that are different, very different in background, that they're, they're trusting in very different things, and they're both standing up. They're both looking up. Well, one's looking up, one's looking down. Well, get there. And so Luke, Jesus highlights the Pharisee right out of the gate. Now, if I've read it, and you, like when David was reading it, or if you read it in the past, you know, we all immediately want to think about the protagonist and the antagonist. And most of the time, because we are prideful in our own nature and our own thoughts and egocentric at times. We usually like to think about the antagonist, right? Because we're them too. We're like, we're the good person. And so a lot of times you might think, well, the, the Pharisee's kind of a jerk, right? The Pharisee's like saying some really kind of off-putting things and, and sounds kind of like a jerk. I, I understand because I felt that too. And the tax collector kind of comes in this more humble, broken approach and we all think like, yeah, that's what I like or that's what I want to be like. That's how I am. And then you're taught, even in Sunday school, that like, the tax collector had the right approach. And I think that that's right. But, but, but you also have to kind of try and wrap your heads around or try and think about how would have they heard it? How would the story connected with them? Because he's not speaking, again, friends, in a vacuum. He's not talking to a group of people that have no context to what's being said. He's talking to real fresh and blood people in a real culture with real things going on around them. And so, in their highs and in their hearts and in their cultural context, the good guy would immediately have been the Pharisee. And if you just listen to it, it's... It's not necessarily a bad person. He said, I'm not an extortioner. Like if I'm getting into business with somebody, I would prefer if you're not an extortioner. It, it means he, he learned, he, uh, he uh, 
didn't cook his books, right? Uh, he earned his paycheck honorably. That's not bad. He was honest about his money. He's not an adulterer, so what that means, he's a family man. Like, he, he's committed to his family. He loves them. He's, he gives 10% of his money. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. Like, he's serious about his spiritual life. Everybody in that moment would have thought, well, the Pharisees, he's the good guy. Like, they were revered, they were honored in that time, in that context, and you, I kind of aspired to be like them. But when he begins to pray, it kind of reveals something else in his heart that's important. He, it, it, when he begins to pray, it reveals the danger that Jesus is telling us about. Don't, don't be like that. And I think, one, because it's detrimental to you, the person, but it's also detrimental to the people around you. It's dangerous for everybody. And he says, I thank God. Now listen, when you pray, perfect way to start a prayer. I thank God. Right posture, looking to Him. God is at the center. But then after that, it kind of loses His way. The prayer is like, I thank God, kind of like for myself. <laughs> I think God did a really great job. He really doesn't say, I thank God, great posture. But then after that, nothing else is really said at all except him talking about himself. He says, I thank God for all of the good things that he does and the bad things that he doesn't do. He thanks God for the things that he stands for. Now you have to think, friends, like they are at the temple. They've all gathered up there. They've all made their way. And the other thing too is he's afar off. He's, he's away, just not from the Pharisee. He's away from everybody else. His, his entire posture is, is it's separate. It's distinct. I'm different. I, I don't do not just like him, but I don't do like everybody. And what a place to do it. This is the place where you meet with God. That God speaks over you. That God declares over you. That God provides for you. And He standing there. The whole prayer is just distorted. What he's saying is his head's up. He's saying, my ability, God, to be here. My ability to look up. My ability to do this is what I do. It's, it's what I've done. That's, that's, that's dangerous. My ability to look at you, my ability to be here on this temple is based on what I have done and don't do. And Jesus is saying, don't choose this, it's dangerous. Don't go down this path, it's dangerous. Now, because you're intelligent individuals, the thing that you ask yourself is then why does He do that? Now, we, sometimes we can't just go on. Jesus said it, that's it, and we're going to do it, right? We need some more information. So why don't we do that? I think one of the reasons why He says it's so dangerous is because people then become our competition. It changes the way we think about people and others around us. It's like, well, I've done these right things and I've made the right decisions and I've done that and they haven't, so what about 
ねえ。I don't think that that's just in the temple. I think that's actually his lifestyle. I'm not going to relate to people that don't look like me and act like me and think like me and do the same good things that I do. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. You better, well, be a part of our club or you're never going to be a part of the club. Now, you might say, Ryan, this is a kind of a difficult context to understand. I don't do that. I, I've never prayed like that. Okay. Let's, let's maybe try and, let's, I'm coming to your neighborhood with this one, maybe, or, or you know, I heard one, one pastor say, I'm about to get all up in your Kool-Aid. Now, that might be weird. It's, I guess it was weird. <laughs> but he's standing apart, looking down on others. In our political climate, how often Have we thought, at least in our head, that if somebody voted for the opposite party, we just went, I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm glad that I am obviously intelligent. I obviously see the world correctly. I obviously have all my fine points of understanding. And I am voting for whomever it may be, the right person. It's similar, friends. Similar. Where we've made the right decision, obviously they haven't, so I'm going to stand afar off. I'm going to be separate. I'm going to be different. Now Jesus sets up a trap for all His readers. Because Christian or non, Anybody that reads this would look at that and say, well, I would never pray like that. I would never say, like, I thank you, God, because I've done all of these great things and I've never been addicted to heroin. I'm awesome. You know, it's like, you know, I've never, whatever. We would never do that. And I think the problem with this that Jesus is trying to highlight is that sort of relationship is transactional only. It's an exchange of goods. It's, look what I've presented. You offer me this. And it's, it's not in the context of what it's supposed to be, which is love. Like there is no truly loving relationship that you have in your life that is based on transactions. Now that might be a part of it. We make covenants and commitments to one another, but it's not, it's not based on you do this for me, I'm going to do this for you, and everything's going to be okay. God doesn't want us to approach Him like that. God doesn't want that sort of relationship. And He also doesn't want us to have that sort of relationship with others. And it's, it's incredibly difficult to think about. There's a lot of pressure in that sort of relationship in life because what if you fall short? What if you, you miss it? Then you've got to lie about it. Then you've got to act like something you're not. Then you've got to change the relationship and the nature of association with your own yourself and everyone else around you. Because you have this reputation, you have this thing. That's just, it's wrong. 
All of it's no good. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for the people around. It's just not good. And Jesus knows this. Now, the other flip side of this is that the difficult part is tax collectors were not good people. They really weren't. I mean, tax collectors in this context were Jewish people, so they were of the same camp of the Jews that conspired with the Roman government that came in. So the Jews don't already like Romans already because they've already taken over their society. They've taken over their cities. They've implemented new laws. And so the Jews don't like it. And now it's like you have your... Uh, think about your extended family, all of them. Aunts, uncles, cousins, second cousins, just a, your big family. And imagine one of your uncles or somebody far off kind of begun to conspire with somebody else, showed up at your door one day, knocked on the door and said, hey, guess what? That government that you hate, that system that you hate, I'm working for them now. I'm taking 20%. Oh, they were liars. They were thieves. Oftentimes they were violent. They were bullies. And there was no limit to what they could take. So the government... Roman government would say, I want you to extort, to take 10% from everybody. But then they think, you know what? I'm actually going to take 25 because I'm going to keep 15 for myself. And they could do it. They, were, they weren't great people. But see, he, he, the tax collector, knows this. He, he knows he has nothing to stand on. He knows his reputation has failed. He knows his deeds, the things that he does, the way that he thinks. All of that has failed. So he's not looking to God as equal or I have a right to be here. He just wants God to see him. The posture of I don't need to look at you. I just need you to see me. There's this great humility but it's a humility that he knows he has nothing to stand on I think what Jesus wants us to understand that in in this idea of, of, of righteousness of connectivity to God our ability to come and to relate and to speak and to hear None of that is based on what we're able to do. Not because you're not gifted and beautiful and God made you like you are and all of that. But it's because it's only based on what He's done. And see, the tax collector knew it. His eyes were down. Pharisees' eyes were up. The tax collector wanted to be seen by God in mercy. He was open, he was honest, he was vulnerable. See, the first hearers, we're at a disadvantage, friends, because we're not Greek. The first hearers would have heard this, and they would understand what the tax collector actually was saying, what he was doing. See, there's many different translations for this, this word that can, for mercy. Some it means pity, like having pity upon person, but what he was saying is he was saying, God, atone, in that word, atone for my sin. He's saying, wash away the stain that I can't. He was saying, cover me. He, cancel the debt. I know I can't do it on my own, so have mercy. Have mercy. See, as a, as a child, when I took that eraser and I walked in, 
I knew I had no legs to stand on. I knew that I had missed it. I knew that I did wrong. <laughs> and my five-year-old heart was shattered. And I, I do remember, I didn't even look up. I was so scared. But then to hear, you're forgiven. The sense of freedom that came over me when, you, when we're, you're pardoned, when, when the verdict that's read over you is it's done. How does this help us? Like, how do we relate to this? Why, why is, I think, Jesus say this? I think because He wants us to relate to one another the same way that we relate to Him. See, when we... The, the, the tax collector here, he's, he's broken, he's open, he's honest, he's vulnerable, he's, he's putting it all out there. He's not resting on his merit, he's resting on God's mercy and His love. So therefore... <laughs> He knows he's not deserving, so he's equal to everybody. Because we're all undeserving. I don't know if you've noticed this in your heart. You probably have, but I have in mine. That in my head, in my actions, I can't separate myself from others. I can think, well... I did it that way or I wouldn't do it that way or I wouldn't pray like that and be honest with you I feel like I'm better than that don't you and see what happens when you do that when you begin to understand that's 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 our own sort of righteousness our own justification and when we do that it begins to separate us from other people Jesus came for them too and I also think that it helps us to truly be grateful. I mean, if you ever really got a gift that you know you didn't deserve, it was just out of nowhere. It's like you didn't do anything, you didn't earn it. It's just, it's just lavished upon you. That's Jesus. That's who He is. Not only to us, but to the world. He's that way to everybody. So I think that we need to respond that way. The reason that Jesus says these things is so, so that we won't despise other people. So that we won't think the best way is the red way or the blue way. I also like the way that it, this beautiful story kind of personally reveals in my own heart when I've read it and thought through it. I don't know how that is for you, but I just, I, I think it's always people, it's always people that Jesus is concerned for, that pursues and loves. And I, I want us our, our, in our own hearts, in our own minds, in this church, in the way that we interact, the way that we love, are always thinking about extending that and connecting with because that's the beautiful parts of life. And I know that many of us in this room have been hurt and burned 
and our propensities are just to be like, you know what, I'm going to build the walls high. I'm just not, I'm not going to reveal a lot of who I am. I'm going to keep the surface, the conversations level and just kind of kosher and safe and conservative. I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to get into the waters too deep. I'm not, I don't want to do that, but that is not how we are called to live. That is not, that is an exchange. That's not in the context of love. I can keep going. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you're good. You're wise. You're one of the greatest storytellers ever. Whatever choice that was presented to us of this morning of the path to take, by your Holy Spirit, help us to take that path. Not only for the sake of us, for our family, for our neighbors, our friends, but for the sake of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.